Welcome, you're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Hermeneutic Sunday. Okay, okay, we're good, we're good. All right, so last month, let me just do a quick recap. We went through the law, all right? We're trying to answer the question of what is the law? You know, the law um, given to Moses, what really was it? What should we know about the law? So we looked from a um, perspective of the Jew, like what did the Jew understand the law to be? And so I explained how the law is a civil thing. It's like God was the the Israelites brought them out of captivity, brought them into a new land. He said, I'll take you to a land that I will show you, right? I'll take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. But these people, first of all, had to leave their captivity in Egypt. So what happens? They're brought out and then God has to work with them, live with them, guide them. So what does he do? He gives them the law. All right. And the law was what? It was meant to be like a constitution. I mentioned this a lot last month, that it was just the same way you have the Nigerian constitution, you have America's, you know, Declaration of Independence and their constitution. It's the same way God decided to work with the nation of Israel and say, hey, you people are going to be my people. I'm going to give you laws that you need to follow, laws that need to govern you. All right. And I said that makes a whole difference in how we see the law. So if someone were to come to you and say things like, Oh, you should not wear clothing that have two materials. Or um, if you if you um, if you are having your period as a lady, then you are unclean. Like all those things don't apply to you because number one, you're not an Israelite. Number two, the law was never meant for you. It was never given to you. It was always given to the Jews at the time, right? And then what else do we know? We found out that. The law, um, morality predates the law, all right? Morality came before the law. The law um, didn't let people know what was good or what was bad. People already knew that from the very beginning, right? When Cain killed his, his brother, he knew it was wrong. So what the law really did was just to make clear or make visible the sin that was already in people, all right? So that's very important. And I I mentioned a whole lot, but I just wanted to emphasize that part because I don't want you to forget it today or tomorrow for the rest of your life. The law had its purpose, all right? It was given as a judicial thing. And I mentioned three, three aspects of the law, right? Three aspects of the Mosaic law. I said, first of all, they were given the moral law right? The Ten Commandments. How many of you remember that? We went through the Ten Commandments one after the other. Man, if you, if, you, if you weren't here, I'll beg you, go back and listen to it. It was well thought out. It was put together. And there's so much um, that I would love you to get from that teaching. So go back and listen to it. It's on all podcast platforms, Understanding the Law Part 1, all right, on um, Bible Marathon Project. Um, I mentioned the, the moral law, right? That's the 10th 
We talked that we after the Ten Commandments, we went to the civil law. We looked at you know number um, Leviticus. We looked at a lot of text in Deuteronomy, like things that happened when people did certain things. Right? If you kill someone, this is the result of what you do. If you do this, you get this. So that was like the legal system that they had, the civil law for Israel. Just the same way in Nigeria, if you do this, you have this number of years in jail. You know. But because of the way God dealt with his people, it was clear. God made it very clear, his mind about certain things. So we, we, we did a whole lot, and I don't want to go back to that. Then we didn't have enough time to talk about the last part, which was the ceremonial law. We talked about um, festivals, right? The feast of Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread, the feast of trumpets, Feast of Tabernacles, different feasts. They were always celebrating. You know, we talked about things like Sabbath. We talked about all of those things that, I mean, not Sabbath as a law in the Ten Commandments, but the Sabbath celebrations. Um, we talked about, you know, tithes, tithes and offerings and all the sacrifices under the ceremonial law. All right. So, like I said, go back and review those things because many people have never really understood the law. They've really never, if I ask you, what are the 10 commandments? Many people cannot still see the 10 commandments. And I told you a little bit about um, that. But today I have a different focus, all right? And I want you to pay attention because today's focus is where we've left the conversation from the angle of the Jew. We're not trying to look at, okay, what do we do now. Thank you for that. On, on, that's a summary of what we did last, last month. So today we're doing something differently. We're trying to say, okay, let's understand this law, which we did in part one. How can we apply it today? So questions you might have had, should we obey the law? Is the law still for today? Um, all of those questions that you've had, that's my goal today. I'm trying to answer those questions. All right. So, um, and, and one, one more thing I want to say strongly, and I, want, I need you guys to, you know, try to interact with me. If it makes sense, say yes in the chat, even if you cannot mute yourself. I just want to know that you are participating because this content, it's one of those, it's almost like one of those courses in school that you were almost dozing off in. That's what we're doing. This is not, um, you know, those kind of gingering sermons. This is like, this is where you understand that knowing God's word takes discipline. It takes a, a ready mind and a ready heart so that when it sounds like it's just a lot of facts, figures, scriptures, you still have the right mindset to receive what you're learning. That's so important in this. So I'm just telling you ahead of time that today is not going to be different from last month. I have a lot of scriptures to show you, but to answer questions, all right? I hope we are ready for that. Let me hear, let me see yes in the chat. Let me know if you are ready for this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, also, I'm just giving you, I still have a cold, so I might sneeze once or twice. Just know that I'm okay. All right. Um, so what are my aims today? I'm going to answer questions like, what is a Christian's view of the law? Number two would be, what, what impact did Jesus have on the law? Did Jesus do anything about the law? You know, when he came, did he just say, okay, this is the law, continue to obey it? Or did he say we should stop obeying the law? What did Jesus do? What changes did Jesus make when he came to the law, right? 
Number three would be, you know, how did the early church handle the law? So apart from what Jesus did, what did the early church do about the law? Then what New Testament teachings give us a way to handle the law? So today, if the law is still useful, as the Bible clearly declares, what is it useful for? All right. So this is a whole doctrinal teaching here. And it's so important that you grasp this. It will, it will set you free from a lot of, it will help you understand God better. Trust me. And then finally, how can I make the most of the reading of the law? Because guess what? God wants you to read the Bible cover to cover. God wants you to see his will. All right. While there were some things that were specific for a time, the Bible makes it clear that we can learn. We can learn a lot of things. Let me show you a verse real quick. Um, and let me know if you can see my screen. So uh, let's see. Yes, I think you can. Romans. Although that day would have helped us with scriptures, but she's she works on Sunday. A lot of people have started working on Sundays. So, man, it's not the easiest thing. I can relate to that. Okay. So look at this verse. Uh, okay. Let me see if it's on the screen. Yep. So Romans chapter 15 from verse 4. Notice, it was talking about the law from the very beginning. And then he says, such things. Sorry, I'm not sure I can see the scripture. But... Oh, you... is it just from an end? Let me share it again, just in no, case. I can't see the Let me know if you can see it now. Okay, now, yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you so much. All right. So. It says, this is Romans chapter 15 from verse 4. It says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. In other words, there are many things that have been said in the scriptures. And when you see the word scriptures in the Bible, it's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, obviously, because this is a New Testament book. So he can't be including his own book while he's writing it. So when he says, such things were written, written in scriptures. He doesn't even stop there. He says long ago, you know, he's referring to the Old Testament. He said they were written to teach us. It means that we can learn from the Old Testament. And this is very important to understand, right? Um, so the, here's the thing. And here's what I want to establish right now. See, if God said, and this is why we need to be responsive to the word of God. If God said, we must obey the law. We have to. If God tells me that, oh, Ernest, this is what you must do. This, 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 that. Follow the law of Moses. Guess what? I have no choice but to do that. Because it's the God of the Bible. It's the God of all creation that's giving me this instruction. So my whole goal is to know him, obey him, follow him, right? And honor God. That's my life purpose. But the problem is... There's a case in the New Testament that we're not supposed to obey the law of Moses. And a lot of people don't know this. So I want, I want to feel the audience now. How many of you, what, let me, let me see how I can phrase this question. How many of you think that we, be honest, that we still have to obey the law of Moses today? And I've already clarified what the law of Moses is last month. 
right? So let me just hear from you guys. We should obey the law of Moses today. Feedback. Nobody wants to be wrong, Abi. <laughs> well, well, I'll say no based on what you spoke about last time. But the only thing that that I can think of that that, that comes to mind is, um, we, I'm not sure we have to entirely. How do I put it now? Like there should be a way. There should be a progression from the law of Moses to mm. what was supposed to be as the New Testament. Like, there should be. Um, a change, it's a growing, a growth exactly. process. Exactly. I yeah. see. And and you know what you're saying makes sense. I want to add something to that or pose a question back to you. So if okay. the law says you must do everything accurately, otherwise you face the punishment. That's what the law really says. The law actually says he those that live by the those that follow the law must live by it that's it it's not you can't do some and not do others you get so if that's how the law is then if we were to obey it we have to obey it completely would you and the question that? is can we can we obey it completely exactly because the, i know there are over 600 and something laws right um so can one person Obey that six hundred and something laws because I, I I remember I can't remember what part of the Bible says that um how did they put it paraphrasing now you cannot do one part yeah. of the law and do the you. other part okay yeah let me show you that verse and I like this conversation we're having because it's important to understand all these things so it's James chapter two from verse ten okay. James was telling us this he said the person who keeps all of the laws except one exactly is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. That's so important. I think that's exactly what, I think that's what this person um, said. That's what um, praise put in the chat. Break one, you've broken all. There's no middle ground. When it comes to the law, it is if then, who remembers, that was what I thought last month. If God gave them an if and then a then. So if you want to follow it, you follow it all the way or not at all. Mm -hmm. But but what you are saying still, now the question posed to us is, wait, Ennis, are you now saying that we don't have to follow the law? But the law is good. There's some things that the law says we should do that we should do. Are you telling me we should just trash it completely? And that's why we are doing this teaching. I'm saying that now so that you have the right mindset going into what we're doing. I think I would, I would like to get the answer to that question just Beautiful. first time. Beautiful. All right. So you're in the right place. So let's go on. All right. So text i want us to read is john chapter 1 from verse 17 john and ademola trust me um i definitely want to hear what you have to say about what you just typed but at the same time let's i want us to make sure that we flow with the thought process i don't want you to miss anything here it's so important you don't miss anything so that we don't live here with a wrong idea of what the law is so john 1 17 i don't know why i'm in nlt sorry guys i mean oh, wow. it's too good okay but can you read it i'm reading from amplified okay go ahead for while the law was given through moses grace on end undeserved favor and spiritual blessing and mm -hmm. truth 
came through Jesus Christ. Let me go back to my NLT. <laughs> but that's beautiful as well. But notice okay, the so, contrast. Read it again and notice the contrast. So I'm reading from NLT now. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Beautiful. So it says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in the original Greek, actually, the word but is not there, but the it's clear. The comparison is clear. It says the law was given by Moses, but something came by someone else. In other words, placing that thing or is in opposition to that thing. Does that make sense? So if he says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus that, that means something different came. So rules, principles, all these things that they had to live by came by Moses. Mm-hmm. But grace came through Jesus Christ. So in other words, Jesus shows up into the scene and things change. And you're going to see a lot more of that in just the life of Jesus alone. But let's look at something because it's very easy for us to think that the law had you know, a purpose in bringing eternal life like some people think that oh if you follow the law of moses if you obey the law you have eternal life in fact many people today even though that's not what they say they still believe that earning eternal life is as a result of what they do so for example in the catholic faith most of the time it's a mixture so they, they would say oh we believe in salvation by grace but the roman catholic catechism adds something to that it says oh you still have to observe the sacraments you still have to do this you have to do that and also it still ends up being your good works need to outweigh your bad works that it ends up being a works thing but look at what the bible says that before the law even came there was a picture of what god really wanted to do and how god wanted to save people so let's go to romans romans chapter 4 i'm going to read quickly from verse 1 to 5 all right, so let's read from verse one to five. It's going to be a lot on the screen, but it's easier for me to do it once. This is Abraham Romans. was humanly speaking. Go ahead, go ahead. You said Romans four, right? One yes, from five. verse one to five. Yes. Okay. Abraham, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right to, with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. Beautiful. See, I want you to see, I want us, let's do something. Let's make sure that we are reading to understand. All right. So thank you for reading that. Yinka. I want to kind of do a quick summary of what we just said. It says, what shall we say that Abraham, our father, had found according to the flesh? Notice Abraham came before Moses, meaning the law had not even been instituted at this time. So, but the first point is there was a sense of morality. I've already established that. So here we're reading Romans 4 from verse 1 to 5. It says, what did Abraham, our father, find according to the flesh? 
He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If it was because of the good things he did, then he could have something to boast about and, you know, say, oh, this is why I'm accepted by God. He said, but no, not before God. And it tells us how. He quotes Genesis chapter 15 from verse 6. He says, Abraham believed God and he was counted unto him for righteousness. So in other words, how was Abraham made right with God? How did God accept him? The common idea people would have is you have to be a good person. You have to do good things. You have to you know, meet a certain standard. But all Paul tells us in Romans here is that Abraham believed God. This is all he had to do. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He said, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if you work for something, you're supposed to pay you, right? If you have a job and you go to the office and you work, 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 and, and the boss at the end of the day calls you to the office and says, oh, maybe that's how they pay you salary. And he says, oh, Yinka, good job this week, you know, this month. You did a good month, but I'm just blessing you with this. And he gives you your actual salary. Is that really a blessing? It is what he's supposed to give you. Do you get what I'm saying? You deserve that. You work for it. That is the wage. So, and you'll be upset if you didn't get it, right? Exactly. So this is super important to understand that when it comes to the issue of being right with God, it, is, it has always been, before the law came, it has always been by faith. Let me show you a verse similar to this in Romans chapter 11. So let's go to Romans chapter 11 from verse 6. Can someone read this for me? Romans 11, 6. Okay, Romans 11. Okay. I live by grace, then it is no longer work. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of work, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no, is no longer work. work. Who gets what this is saying? I know it seems it sounds convoluted, but Priest, can you explain what you just read? Yeah, this, this scripture is just saying that if, if it's by grace, what am I, what is it? <clears throat> okay, saying that if it's by work, then it's no longer grace. And if it's by grace, it's no longer work. Otherwise, exactly. work, work is no work and grace is not grace. That's what you yeah. just said. Yeah, you just read the verse again, but good job. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that's I think, but that's it. I think it in the NLT version. Kind of bring it to light. Yeah. Go ahead, read work, it, read work. it. It says, and since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. Mm -hmm. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. Right. So in other words, here's, here's the summary. You either get saved by works or by grace. You can't mix both. Does that make sense? You can't mix both. If it is by grace, then it's no longer of works. God is not reckoning works anymore when it comes to how he deals with you for salvation. Because if it has to do with works, then grace is no longer grace. Grace simply means a gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. I'm like, oh, treasure. I just feel like giving you, you know, one million naira today. 
you did work for it. But if you did a job for me and I said, ah, treasure, take this as a payment, you can't have both. That's just the point he's making here. And that is very important to understand that two major characters in the Old Testament law, notice we're still talking about the Old Testament law, two major characters, who were they? Abraham and David. In Abraham's case, we just read in Romans 4, Abraham was accepted by God because he believed. David is another example in that same Romans 4. So let's go back to Romans 4 because Romans 4 tells us something about David. Uh, verse 6. So Romans chapter 4 from verse 6 says, Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. This is in, in, interesting. So Paul is doing a teaching on Romans and he starts by trying to establish that, hey, the way God accepts you is by faith. And he tells you, it's not just, let me show you that it started long before the law came. It takes you back to Abraham, shows you that Abraham only believed and was made righteous. And when David came on the scene after the law, David was still quoting the fact that blessed is the man that God will not count sin. It will not be about works. It will not be about what their performance. It will be about the forgiveness of their sins covered by grace. But you know what's interesting, and this is something that you might not you might not realize. This text that was quoted here in Romans four. Who can tell me where it was first written? This verse: "Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose Psalm sins 32. are covered." Someone. Thirty-two. Okay. What of what of? Um, well, it's there, but it's also in. Um, Psalm some thirty exactly some thirty-two. So let me show you something. It starts with blessed is he whose transgression is, is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Then verse two, it says, This is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now he goes on. And it says, notice, he goes on and keeps talking. And he says, verse um, five, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity have I, have I not hidden. I, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And basically, the context you have to understand is that whenever David was, um, quote, was saying all these things, there's always a scenario around it. For example, in Psalm 51, David had sinned woefully before this, you remember what he did, right? He had his, he um, slept with Bathsheba and then killed her husband, set, set it up in such a way that he would be killed in war. So basically, David had committed two sins, adultery and murder. What do we know about the law of Moses for those two sins? Who remembers from last month? And that's why I said everything still adds up. Everything we're discussing still comes together. There was no punishment, there was no um, sacrifice for murder. If you killed anyone, what were you supposed to get? Death, you were supposed to die. If you committed adultery, they were also supposed to stone you. So in other words, there was no forgiveness for that kind of sin. So what, what do you think David would do? David comes to God in Psalm 51 
And what does he say? Have mercy upon me. According to thy loving kindness. According to thy loving kindness, you know, wash me clean from my iniquity. How do I know that this is even a big deal? Because for us today, we've so watered down the idea of forgiveness. We think forgiveness is just, oh, just go to God and ask him, God, forgive me and you'll forgive. But David understood that, ah, if there's no atonement for a particular sin, that's it though. And we read it last month. And if you killed someone, the penalty for killing was death. There was no way you could avoid it. It was all the other wrongdoings that you could take, you know, all the sins you commit, omitted sins, committed sins, apart from those heavy ones, as we see in the law, you know, you would go to the temple with your um, sacrifice and then that whole process, the priest will examine the, the ram, see if it's good, without spot or blemish, take it, slaughter it, and offer it to God. And then you can go free. Your sins have been covered, right? But for adultery and murder, there's nothing like that. It's your stone. So David had to cry to God. Because look at what he says in verse um, 16 of that same Psalm 51 verse. Psalm 51. In fact, let's read from, I want you to just, I want you to see that this is the context. Um, verse 14. Psalm 14, David says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. So he's talking about what he did. He just killed someone, someone's husband. He said, oh God, the God of my salvation, and my, so, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Look at verse 16. He says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Pay attention. That is, that is what... Um, David is saying God does not desire offerings for this, this kind of sins so he understood that <laughs> something bigger had to be done to set him free from this very very powerful but then that's what takes us to Romans 4 that Paul is quoting he says David knew that there was a day that was coming that there will be a man blessed would he be because his sins will not will be covered. His iniquity will not be counted against him. For us, we are looking back in retrospect and we're like, oh, glory to God, that's amazing. But it's, it's profound because <laughs> if you did anything and you were under the law, then it, there, was no, it's not, um, uh, there was no extra chance or a second chance, right? Very important. But it's so beautiful that Jesus' sacrifice covers this. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But I just want you to see the, the difference between how the law operates and grace. Remember, we read John chapter 1 from verse 17. The, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So let's answer some questions, all right? Let's, let's answer some questions real quick. So why was the law given? Let me hear from some of you people. Why did God give the law? We established last month. Okay. One second. Let me build, build the question very well. Last month, we um, discussed that the law was given to Moses and that it came after the sense of morality. So it's not that the law brought a sense of morality. No. Before the law was given, people knew what was right and wrong. All right. So obviously that is not why the law was given. So who can tell me? So go ahead, Inka, you have, you have the floor. Why was the law given in the first place? Okay, so I've, I think 
the reason why the law was given was to guide um, the children of Israel in, like you mentioned about it being a constitution, um, such that they can, <clears throat> excuse me, such that they can please God, you know, so that they can bring desirable, they can live lives that, because one thing about, that I know about God is he, he loves holiness, like he's a, he's a holy God, right? So what the law was supposed to do was to help people, children of Israel, um, position themselves, right, to, um, what's that word now? Position themselves to serve God in, in, in a holy manner. Do you get my point? Okay, okay. I don't I know get if you. that works. So, I mean, obviously we're eliminating, yeah, I can hear you. So I, okay. I, I guess we're eliminating, obviously, I think everybody should be on the same page on this. The law was not given to save. It was not like, do this and you'll be saved. If this, then God would have given the law, not to Jews, but also to mm -hmm. the Gentiles, right? Yeah. So that yeah. eliminates that. Also, we know that Abraham did not have the law, mm -hmm. right? So why did God give it? And Yinka is saying, well, it basically was to um, give them a way to live, a way to live by, you know, some structure in their lives in, in a sense. And that's, that's true. Um, who has anything else to add? I, I'm seeing some things in the chat. So let me, let me go there. So Ademola said to create boundaries. Okay, so in other words, think, and think about your answers very well. So if if the law was not given, would there still be boundaries? Because I feel there were still boundaries given to people. You know, God still gave direct commands. So even without the law, people still knew what was right and wrong. But he says, he adds to it, he says to bring man to the end of himself. And I think that's a more biblical point. So thanks for sharing that. So the law brings man to the end of himself. Ayah says it was given to show the frailty of man that they can't keep it even if they tried. I love this. So yeah, you're all saying the same thing. And here's the point. Here's the point. The law was not given to make anybody righteous. Because most people think when you give instructions, let's even leave the law of Moses. Let's just talk normal talk. If we sit mm -hmm. down and maybe, how many of you remember in um, primary school? Uh, your teacher would be like, oh, who is the class captain? And then they have to write a list of noisemakers. And so basically the law is don't talk or your name goes into the names of a list of noisemakers. And if it goes in there, guess what? You're going to be flogged. So that's a law. Don't talk. I'm going out of the class. Don't make noise. The class captain is going to write the criminals in a sense. So that's a law. Guess what? There are always people that enter that list. Have you realized that? There are always names of people in the list of noisemakers. And that's Whether just they the, talk or not. The, somehow. Because, and that's the funny thing. And I, I think it is more of a mystery, but it, it helps explain this, this concept. That the list of noisemakers, that paper or that instruction given was not in itself making them noisemakers. These people were already noisemakers. So it was only making it clear who they were. It was revealing it clearly in a list form. This is, these are the people, all right? But I mean, maybe that's not the best example, but I hope you get the idea. The law in itself did not 
make people sinful. They were already sinful. What the Lord did was to expose their sinfulness, just like everyone has said. So Augusta says, I think the law was given to show us how sinful we are. And that's, that's the point. So you see God as a holy, perfect God. He is holy. There is, is thrice holy. Mm-hmm. The angels keep shouting, holy, holy, holy. They worship him. That he's basically, holy means he's separate. Now this God wants to help us see, first of all, our inability. How would he show man? How would he bring man to the end of himself? Well, here's who I am, right? That, that's it. Here's who I am. He shows them his perfect nature. So when he says, do not lie, he's revealing to you that he's a God that doesn't lie. When he talks about things that have to do with, you know, don't cheat the fatherless or the widows, he's showing you that he has a heart and a compassion for those who, are, um, who um, have lost someone or don't have the fullness of, you know, a, a, a nuclear family or something of that sort. It shows you the heart of God, but it more extensively shows you the depravity of your heart. So you guys are on, on the right track. All right, you guys are on the right track. Let me show you and quickly do a commentary of Galatians chapter three, because um, let me give you a back um, story of Galatians. You know, the, there was the church of Galatia and it was raided, was ruled by Judaizers. Judaizers are just people, you know, believed so much in the law of Moses. They wanted to enforce the law of Moses. So they pretended to be, bringing messages from the apostles. It's not like in our day where we have telephone and we can clarify errors real quick. Like, oh, I didn't send this person. They had, uh, they had days of travel to get to a new location. And so some people came from the apostles in Jerusalem bringing a false message saying, hey, the apostles are saying, you guys need to remain circumcised. Like you have to obey the law of Moses if you are still going to follow Christ. You have to follow Christ, believe in Jesus, but you also have to obey the law of Moses. That's what they were teaching. But let's see something. Galatians chapter 3. All right. We're going to read from verse 19. Let's first of all see what the law was for. There's a whole teaching that I'm trying to avoid right now because Galatians is an amazing book. I think what we're going to do, if God permits next month, is every time we meet here we're going to do studies, book studies, instead of topical studies. Um, a, lot, a lot of people need to have a clear teaching of these books. For example, what is Galatians about? What is Romans about? So we may just take it like that, the book of Romans, and we try to see how we can get through it and get the gist of that book. That might be more effective for a lot of people who already have churches they're going to, they're learning the sound word of God. So um, the point is we are in Bible Marathon, it's our goal to supplement what is lacking. All right. So when we see that the, the church generally is not hitting some areas, we try to you know, fill those gaps. For, for the overall progress and joy of your faith. So um, let's, let's look at Romans chapter, uh, sorry, Galatians chapter three from verse 19. Look at this. This is actually the answer to the question. Sorry, I'm sweating a lot. This is the answer to the question. What purpose then does the loss? 
Meaning, what is the purpose of the law? That's the question. And the answer is there. It says it was added because of transgressions. This can be misleading because you're like added because of transgressions. Does it mean it was added because of sin? What does because of there mean? It's just what I've explained. It says the law was added because of transgression, meaning the reason the law came was to show transgression. It was for the purpose of revealing sin in its clear form and where it is found in the heart of men. He said it was added because of transgression, but with another purpose, it says, till the seed should come. Who is the seed? Shout it out in your room. Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the seed. Who would come, whom, to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Notice, notice. There's so much here. Let me read it in the NLT. I think it helps a lot. It says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise. So notice here, it doesn't say, it, it says alongside the promise. So while, as the law was given, there, were always, there, were, there was also the promise together. The law always came with the promise. And we're going to talk about that when I'm close to the end because it will answer the questions that some of you might have. The law always came with the promise. So while the law was showing sinfulness, it was also showing, on the other hand, the provision for that sin, God's act in helping people come out from that. All right. It says it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to only last until the coming of the child who was promised. It was designed to only last. So a, a Bible student there should think, how long does should the law last? Like how... How long should people follow the law? Well, till the seed. And we know who the seed is, Christ Jesus. So in other words, we've established not only the purpose of the law, which was to show people who they are, their sinful nature, but also to go even a step further and prepare people for the coming of Christ. Prepare people, let them see that they have a need for a savior. In fact, let me establish this better. And I think it's, it's not a coincidence. It might be a coincidence that Galatians 3.19 is so similar to Romans 3.19, knowing that chapters and verses were not added until like a few centuries ago. But it's so interesting that it is <laughs> saying the same thing. Galatians says, what was the purpose of the law? Romans 3.19 is saying something similar. It says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. And what is the purpose? It says, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So the purpose of the law, and I'll read it in the NKJV. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. So it's like every what everyone has been saying in the chat. Nobody has an excuse now. You see God's standard. You realize you're in trouble. You need a savior. And if the, if the law is not doing that for you, then you've not understood the purpose of the law. So a lot of people in those days, what they were doing is they were trying to meet everything the law demands. You know, the Pharisees, they're like, that's why they call them teachers of the law. They were the people who emphasized you have to do the law to the letter. But they themselves were pretending. Jesus exposed their hypocrisy many times. 
you know, they came out in the open to pray, but who knew what they were doing is in the secret. Many of them were disobeying the law, the laws that they were openly saying people should, should, should obey. So really the law just shows you, you don't have any, you don't have a choice. You need someone to help you. If you think you can meet everything that the law says, you're in trouble. And that's why Jesus, when Jesus came on the scene and, um, you know, he met the rich young ruler. Some of you know this story, you know, he came to Jesus and said, wow, good master, you know, you're the one, you have the words of life and all of that. And then Jesus replied, he says, why do you call me good? There is none good, but God. And many people don't really know what that text really is saying or what that text is about, but that text was God in, in the flesh, Jesus Christ, revealing the true nature of this guy. So first of all, Jesus says, there is none good but God. So if you are saying good master, then you are calling me God by extension. So I hope you know what you are saying. That's the first part. And then he goes on to say, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And let me put that scripture on the, on the screen. I know going through this, but... Um, What text is that again? I think it's um was it Mark? No, it's Matthew, I think. If someone can help me find where it is, that would be helpful. I have so much to cover, so I don't have that now. But Jesus was talking to this guy. Matthew then, 19. Okay. Matthew 19, Ma 16. The rich young ruler. And Jesus, yes. Yes, that's it. Thank you. All right. You said, what good teacher, um, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? None is, none is good but God. And then he says... But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he says, if you want to enter into life, obey all the commandments. But you know the truth. If it was possible for a person to obey all the commandments, he would have eternal life. I want you to understand this. Anyone who kept the law perfectly could enter eternal life. That's the premise of scripture. But nobody can, which is also the problem. Do you get the picture? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, oh, you want to create eternal life? Well, maybe he's not saying it clearly, but there are two ways. You obey all the law perfectly and not just the outer law, but the inner law. And I'll explain what I mean by that with the next verse. He says, keep the commandments. And then he said, which ones? Jesus, tell me which ones should I obey? Because I don't think you're getting me. I'm a good guy. You know, Jesus says, well, in the law, it says you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. And I, I'm sure you are hearing these and you're remembering, oh, these are the Ten Commandments, all right? So these were things that he had grown up and known from his youth. He says, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Sorry. The, rich man, the young man said, all these I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? <laughs> so in other words, he said, he had done everything perfectly. That's what he's saying. In other words, I've obeyed the law completely. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus knew that there was a problem, a fundamental problem, and it has to do with his heart. Because you can do all these things outwardly, 
you can decide, oh, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to fornicate. I'm not going to kill anybody. But then your heart is still wrong because Jesus raised the stakes. If you commit adultery in your heart, that's by looking lustfully at a woman. He says you've committed adultery in your heart. If you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So it's not until you do the action. And this is something a lot of people need to understand. In God's view of sin, it's not just the actions of sin, but the meditation and preparation for that act of sin. So God is not merely worried about the actions, but the process many times. So if you are hating someone, you've already committed murder. So he says, if you want to be perfect, well, let me tell you the real problem. You have a problem in your heart and I'm going to reveal it to you. Go and sell all that you have so that you have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Who can tell me what Jesus was testing here? Who can tell me, a quick person, what was Jesus tested here by, by asking him to do this? What, or let me put it this way. Why did the man go sorrowfully? Why did the man leave sorrowfully with his possession? I think I just gave the answer. <laughs> Nobody wants to see it again. I don't. What? So, so beautiful so it was the second law he had broken he just he had broken the law you shall have no other god but but me so in other words jesus was saying oh you think you've obeyed all the laws i noticed jesus did not list the first two he started from thou shall not murder thou shall not so he started from the last part of the law and that's one they focused on the jews and this is historically speaking they focus so much on the or that, or the, oh, okay, do not kill, do not murder. But the things that were hard to see openly, which were things that had to do with the mind, where your mind is, those were the things Jesus was concerned about. And so the second law, this guy was breaking, you shall have that God, you shall not make an image and worship it. That, in, in this guy's life, his great possession was that idol. And Jesus just showed that you've not obeyed the law. So if you need eternal life, you still have to follow me. Because I'm the only one that gives eternal life. And that's so beautiful to, to, to realize. But let's go back to Galatians because there's so much I want to show you here. Man, time is running. I'll just show you the important things, right? You know, we just read this. I'm going to read it real quick. So notice verse 20 says, Now a mediator, when Galatians chapter verse 20, Now a mediator does not mediate for one only but god is one is the law then against the promises of god now follow the line of thought is the law then against the promises of god because if the law came and the purpose of the law was to show people transgression then is he against god's promises he says no for if there had been a law given which could have given life truly righteousness would have been by the law in other words if the law itself could give life to people then that's how righteousness would have come. But no, he said the scripture has confined all on that sin. In other words, the problem, just like I explained earlier, is if this guy could keep everything perfectly, there will be no need for Jesus to come. But nobody could keep the law perfectly. They have a sin problem. 
And so the scripture has confined all on that sin. Romans 3.10, all have sinned. You know, there's none good but God. Text like that, right? Um, he says, but the promise by, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So God has leveled the playing field right now. The Jew had the law, but he had the same problem. The Gentile does not have the law by design. They're not Jews. They're not Israelites, so they don't have the law, but they have a sin problem as well. How does God level the playing field? Well, he says faith. The Jew has to lower them, their pride, let go of their pride, and trust in this Jesus who has done everything for them. He has fulfilled the law perfectly. And the Gentile has to catch up and say, oh, I don't even have the law. I don't even have that standard, but I'm a sinner, and I need someone to take my place, someone to, to mediate on my behalf. So God leveled the playing field in doing this. That's so beautiful. All right, let's go on. It says, but before faith, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. That the, therefore, a tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the law was a tutor. It was a teacher. It's like, you know, that lesson teacher that comes to your house. Some of you had lesson teachers. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But that guy that comes teaching you and bringing you, trying to make you pass an exam. The law was that. And the purpose of the law was to bring us to Christ. How? To come to the end of ourselves. That was the purpose of the law. That, see, you, you need help. And once you realize you need help, then... You can receive the Messiah. In fact, that's the whole point of the law. Let me show you this real quick because I don't know if we'll have time. We're still talking about the law. Think about this. Tell me one aspect of the law. Uh, let me give you one aspect of the law. Sacrifices, right? The killing of rams, bulls, goats for sin was part of the law, true or false. So it's going to be under the ceremonial aspect of the law. If you did this, you have to offer this particular offering for your sin. So it's still under the law. How was that law a tutor? This is how to do Bible study, guys. When you see a text like the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith, you start thinking, okay, give me one law, right? How was that law a tutor? And how did it bring me to Christ? So let's take one example. And there's so many examples. And this is one thing that I really enjoyed in my own personal Bible study. And it keeps me going back for more because the Bible is so rich with insight. <laughs> you, 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 can't, you can't get everything at once, I promise you. So they had sacrifices, killing of bulls, goats, rams. Why did God give them that law? Well, first of all, to teach them, like we see, it was a tutor. So what should you know when you sin? You need help. You need something. Some, something has to pay, right? Who's getting the flow of thought? Something has to die. If you commit a sin and you want to go scot-free, nobody really goes scot-free. Something has to pay. So in your case, it is an animal, spotless, blameless. You have to bring it. The priest has to examine it, kill it, and say, yes, okay, now you can go. So what do you think that was doing in the mind or in the psyche of a, of, of a Jew? Imagine you being raised in that environment that you know that, ah, at the end of this year, Sha, all the sins I've committed, I have to have an animal 
to take this to pay for sin. It means that the Jew didn't have the idea in their mind that you could just ask God for forgiveness. It's not like today where you have a lot of people that just, you know, I can just ask God for forgiveness. No, <laughs> you had to spend money, buy a ram, or maybe you had a, an agricultural field. You had rams that you were keeping. Not only must the ram be good, it must be spotless. So there were a lot of criteria required. But what that was doing was it was teaching them that, see, the payment for sin is a sacrifice. If you want to be set free from sin, a sacrifice has to be made. That's why to a Jewish audience, John saying, behold, the lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world was profound. Because now they're like lamb of God. So this guy is the lamb. I've been killing lambs all my life for the sins that I've been committing. That was the law pointing them to somebody who is coming. Who's getting this? And this is just one example out of a hundred. Who gets it? I, I hope I'm communicating. I am. I am. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's go on. It says the law was our tutor yes, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So this is a text you should bring to people who still want to say, you know, we have to obey the law, you know. Um, recently I had a conversation with someone who was talking about tattoos and I don't think there is a biblical premise to tell someone not to get a tattoo when you understand this the only premise would be a wisdom premise so it seems like I'm going off topic but I think it's important to discuss this with what we have as an understanding the law is no longer binding on anyone first of all it was never binding on you because you're not a Jew in this, on a secondary scale, even if the law still had application, we know how it should be applied. The Bible tells us the law was supposed to show us, bring us to the end of ourselves. It was not to give us guides for living in the sense that, oh, you do this and don't do that. That was not the purpose of the law from what we've read. So it means that if you read something in Leviticus that says that you should not have any marks or um, on your body for the dead as the verse actually implies. People now take that and say it means tattoos are a sin. So my question would be, okay, what law or what? how do we handle that? How do we handle the issue of tattoos, for example? We can't go to Leviticus because the law, like we just read, was a tutor. So, it, and Christ has, so the law has really, it's obsolete. In fact, Hebrews, it describes the law as obsolete. Like it has finished its job because the, the person that the law spoke about has come. So when it comes to the issue of tattoos now, you're thinking, okay, so if the Bible has nothing and there's nothing in the New Testament that talks about tattoos, all right, what you now have to do is to make a wisdom, um, have a wisdom response to it. So, okay, if I get a tattoo, will that help or affect my witness as a Christian? Meaning, does it help me reach a particular group of people or does it hinder me from being helpful to this category? That's how you think. That's how you now decide. And that's what the law of the spirit is all about. Man, I have a lot to talk about. Let me just keep going through. But I hope that was a good example. 
Because that's one example that applies to many other wisdom issues. When you have anything to decide on, you look at God's word. First of all, there's wisdom in the law. There's a reason God gave those laws. It was not just arbitrary. It shows you how his mind works. You know, what, um, when he says cuttings, you should not have marks or cuttings for the dead. That was because a God of the living and not the dead. Do you understand? That is what the angels said. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And then the Bible also tells us that Jesus, John 11, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. So God is a God of life. So when people are getting marks for the dead, which was the context of tattooing in those days or in the, in the Jewish tradition, and it wasn't the Jews that did it. This was something people around them were doing that they were trying to copy. And God had to tell them, hey, don't do what other people are doing. And that's always the context of the law. Don't be like the heathen. I'm making you a separate people, a chosen people, unique people that will do what I tell them to do. All right. So th this is super important. Let's keep going. It says, under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have, have put on Christ. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek. You know, if it said, um, instead of saying there is neither Jew nor Greek, if it said you are now all Jews, that would make a difference. But it's now saying there's no more category of Jew or Gentile or Jew or Greek. When it comes to Christ, Christ is the leveling ground. There is no slave nor free. There's no master-slave relationship when it comes to Christ. We're all one in Christ. There's no male or female. The way God deals with males is the same way God deals with females in Christ. So when the law has specific laws for women, all right, about, you know, all these things that have to do with the ceremonial laws, clean, cleanliness and stuff like that, the law, because the law has come to an end, those things don't apply. This is so important to understand. This is super important to get. All right. Um, and then it says, and you are Christ and all of that. So let's really go. Let's quickly look at a few things. How does Jesus come into the picture? So we already have an idea of the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus, right? So let's look at what Jesus really did. Did Jesus change the law? Did Jesus do anything? And one of the texts that people go to real quick is Matthew chapter five. Has anyone heard someone quote this verse before? Or these verses? Matthew chapter five from verse 17 to 19. They say, ah, we're still supposed to keep the law. And then someone says, they say, ah, haven't you read Matthew chapter five from verse 17? He says, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So people say, ah, Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. But in their, the way they define fulfill is Jesus came to establish the law. That's what they, that's what they define fulfill as. But how, how do we know that's a wrong interpretation? First of all, it doesn't say, do not came to destroy the law. It says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. In other words, the law and the prophets are together. And every time you see law and the prophets in the New Testament, it was always referring to prophecy 
that had to be fulfilled by Christ. The law and the prophets, their body. Moses, the, the main people that represented those, those um, institutions, the law was represented by Moses. Uh, prophets was represented by Elijah. That's why the two of them were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, you know, showing that, hey, Jesus was in the middle. Moses was here. Elijah was here saying, this is the guy that we all spoke about. Moses, the law was really pointing as a tutor to Christ. The prophecies were talking about some things that this man will do and fulfill to prove that he's the chosen one. So that was the whole Mount of Transfiguration. That was why God spoke there and said, hey, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Listen to him. Don't listen to the, the Moses has done his job. The prophets have done their job. Now Jesus is here. Listen to him. That's why in Hebrews chapter one from verse one, it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners and diverse um, places spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Notice prophets is mentioned again. He said, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus made it clear that that's what he came. That's why I said, for assuredly, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by any means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. If you are a student of English language, what does till mean? It means there's a time. So nothing is going to pass away. Everything that the law has said about me must happen. That's what he's saying here. Jesus did not come to say the law and the prophets are trash. No, he came to fulfill everything they said about him. Who gets what I'm saying? So that's the context of this text. <laughs> that sounded funny, context of this text. But that's, that's really what was implied here. He says, whoever therefore breaks one of the, the least of the commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least. And so he follows from there that because the law and the prophets spoke about me, it's important. We're not saying that the law is bad or wrong or evil. or it's The, the only problem with the law is the, is the man. Is the human being that has sin in him. And so because the law is perfect, only a perfect person can live by the standards of the law. And Jesus was the one that fulfilled everything that the law spoke about. So that's what it means when he says, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In other words, the prophecies were all about me and I've come to fulfill them. Because I have fulfilled them, the law has been fulfilled. So when you see where it says, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. That's what he's talking about. Praise God. That's so important. So it's clear things are going to pass from the law when it gets fulfilled. <laughs> That's the meaning. So there was an end to the law. All right. It came when the seed was revealed. Jesus Christ came on the scene. Now he came and while he was on the earth, he obeyed the law. Jesus obeyed it perfectly. And that's what made him a perfect sacrifice because only someone who is perfect can pay the price for a criminal. You can't have a criminal taking a criminal's place. They both need to go to jail. So it, someone needs to be completely spotless, you know, according to the government's record, to be able to take the, the sin or the, the crime of another person. Super, super profound, super, super important. All right. And then as just to round up, because we have a lot to, 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 to uh, I've talked about, but let me just quickly um, show you a few things. Man, I have so much, 
But I think I've, I've brought a lot of things in. Let me just show you a few things. that in, We've talked about the Old Testament itself. We've talked about Jesus, how Jesus made it clear, his purpose. Let's now talk about the New Testament as a roundup. So what did the apostles say about the law? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. I'll be quick with this because there's no time anymore. Um, Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. It says, for him, he himself is our peace who has made both one. What, does, what is he talking about here when he says he has made both one? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He has made them one. It's no, there's no longer a dividing line. He says he has broken the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments. So in a sense, that was the only problem. And what did God abolish? Pay attention. He says he abolished in his flesh the law of command commandments containing ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So what glorified the Jews, like Romans chapter 9 talks about, they had the ordinances, they had the law, they had the, the oracles, they had all those things. So they were special. God had to bridge the gap with Jesus Christ. How? Well, deal with the law. The law had to be, first of all, fulfilled, but then abolished because it has been fulfilled, so it has come to an end. Does that make sense? And just as weird, you know, the first time I said Romans 3.19 and Galatians 3.19 are saying the same thing. We are going to see the same thing happen again. Ephesians 2.14 and Colossians 2.14. I... <laughs> It's almost very coincidental that I feel like someone made set this thing up. Look at it. Colossians 2.14. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way. So here, what do you think the handwriting of requirements is? The law. That's the only thing that qualifies as the handwriting of requirements. And can you see how this also includes the, the, the Ten Commandments? Because the only handwritten law that we know was the hand of God writing on the stones. So when you have, whenever you see handwriting of requirements or commandments, law, that's exactly what it is. So a lot of people say, oh, it's only the... Um, other aspects of the law that was given to Moses that have faded away. The moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, has not. But here's the thing. When you came into Christ, here's what happened. A law, a new law was given. So I'm going to read this because it's so important. This was in Jer Jeremiah 31, 31. The first law came and it was written in stone, in tablets, and he says, do this, do this, do this. But then there was a prophecy in the prophets. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So now look at what the prophet Jeremiah said. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. So the Old Testament was a covenant. He says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. What does he say he's going to do? He says, not according to the covenant. And now you may be wondering, okay, the covenant was with only Israel and Judah. Well, why do we know that it applies to us? We've already seen that in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. The dividing line has been broken. So it's now we are one man in Christ. So this is 
talking, and remember, not everything was revealed in the Old Testament. The New Testament brings clarity to those things. It says, not according to the covenant I made with your fathers. What was the covenant he made with the fathers? The law that was given to them when they were brought out of Egypt, right? Then he says, I'll be a husband to them. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Guys, this is your story. This is you. Listen, if you are wondering now, what am I functioning by? The law has been abolished. What the, what do I have to live by? Because we are, we are people built to obey. We are people built to obey God. We're, we're all beings that need to worship. We have a desire to worship. And some of us point it in the wrong direction. But what, what, what is this instruction? What is this new firmware or update? What is this thing that the New Testament is? He says, it's a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. So the Old Testament was written in stony hearts, which was a symbol, but stone. It was written in stone. So it did not really do anything inside the people. But the new covenant, the Bible says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He said, no more shall any man teach his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. He says, I will forgive their iniquities and their sin I will remember no more. Do you remember this statement? Who made it? David made it. This is another prophet establishing that there is a new covenant. And so just to, just to make it clear what this covenant is, how it was fulfilled, let's look at it finally. And this will be the last verse. I have a whole lot, but I'm going to skip all of that because we're supposed to read Acts chapter 15 to understand to prove, by the way, let me just say it now, since we're not going to read it. Take some time to read Acts 15. You understand how the church answered the question of, should we still keep the law and follow Christ? Like, should we add, follow Christ and still add the law to it? The answer was very clear in Acts 15. They had to discuss it amongst themselves that we cannot put the burden that was so hard for our, for our ancestors to bear. We want to now add it to the Gentiles. Um, but we don't have time to read on that. Um, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as we close. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. How many of you remember this? Some of you already know this. this and I'll just, and please, I'm begging you guys just the next five minutes so that I can explain this because I can't let you guys go without explaining this clearly. So I'm begging for the next five minutes. Thank you. I didn't even know if you said yes, but I'll just do it. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter three from verse three says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. An epistle is a letter. It said, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not with tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. That's exactly it. The law came by Moses. You had the Ten Commandments written on stone, but the new covenant is written in your heart, just like Jeremiah prophesied. That's the fulfillment there. Look at this. It says, and we have such trust through... <laughs> Sorry. We have such trust through Christ towards God. 
not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Now, these are another thing some people used to mess up, and that's why I said I needed some time here. People used to teach that, you know, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, and they have a different interpretation of that. But I hope you see the context here. What is the... What is the... Let's, let's go on. Who made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter. What is the letter here? Remember, he said, you are epistles of Christ written to us. Um, epistles of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Not with tablets of stone, but tablets of flesh. So you can see a comparison. So who can tell me what this means? When he says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. So what is the letter here? Oh, my everybody has disappeared. The law? The law. <laughs> exactly. The letter represents the law. Good. It says not of the, well, it's a new covenant, not of the letter. So some people will be like, the way they twist this scripture is very, very appalling. It's very sad. You see people saying, oh, you know, it's not only about what is written in the Bible. You know, that's the letter. The letter kills, but it's the inspiration that gives life. And they twisted the scripture to mean something that it doesn't mean. So it says not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Someone years ago was telling me oh this is talking about rema and logos that the letter is logos but the spirit <laughs> rema is the is the deep things the spirit and so the letter kills so if you're just reading the logos you don't really get anything and that was his excuse for not reading the bible may god not allow you to enter confusion in say amen please <laughs> ah but that is it you know the, it says the law the letter, you know, is, is what kills. And why does it kill? Because sin is in the heart of a person. And when the law meets sin, Romans 7 says, sin revived and I died. All right, but the spirit gives life. So this is the answer to your question. The Christian walks and lives in the spirit. Guess what? What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If you have all these things, you will not, commit adultery. You don't need 10 commandments to know what to do. Are you getting what I'm saying? You have the spirit of God dwelling inside you. It's a new covenant you have. You have a new spirit. God is working in you. God is causing you to do, you know, to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is that spirit. It is that new covenant that you have that you should walk by. So it's, um, Paul called it the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It says that set me free from the law of sin and death. Praise God. So that's the law we live by. So if someone were to ask you, do you live by the 10 commandments? Well, you have a greater law and that law is the law of the spirit. And guess what? The 10, comm the 10 commandments are implied in the law of the spirit because when you love, you will not do those things. Does that make sense? Any questions? Any questions, guys? Let me get feedback from you. If this was clear, if this answered questions that you had, let me know. I have so much, man. But what I'll end up doing is maybe start making sure YouTube videos.
and just have them curated so that I don't just miss all this good stuff I could have shared with you. Man, there's so much here. You know, questions about Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, but it's fine. Another day. All right. Any questions, guys? Any questions, any clarification? Because we're coming to the end of this series. This is really, this is it. This is the end of um, understanding the law. All right. Okay, if there are no questions, I hope this was a blessing to you. So let's, um, let me just show you a few announcements. All right. Can you see the screen? Yes. Okay, awesome. So um, let's finish up First Corinthians already in our groups. I know a lot of groups are lagging behind. My, my group is lagging behind, and I think it's my fault. But we're going to catch up and finish the whole of First Corinthians this week by God's grace. All right, so please, let's do that, 15 and 16. Um, and we'll, what we're going to do before we move into a new book is we're going to have a general review of First Corinthians. That's still the most effective thing in my mind to do. All right. Um, next week, don't miss this teaching, please. It's titled Examining Christian Cults. And some of you are wondering, like, what is a Christian cult? What is that? Well, a Christian cult is defined as a group that claims to be Christian, but they oppose the fundamental beliefs of the church for, from, from, um, from the Bible and historical Christianity. So we're looking at some groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, um, the Church of Latter-day Saints. Um, and, and the reason we're taking some of these groups is because they are very, they are deviating from the teaching of the gospel. Now there are other, this is not, they are not denominations. These are cults. Mormons is the Church of Latter-day Saints. They've changed their name. They don't like to be called Mormons anymore. Um, but there are some groups and we're going to look at like the Hebrew Israelites. There's a group of people. If you have clubhouse, there's a group of people who, um, talk about black Israelites. Like they are the black people, like Nigerians, black Americans, Hispanics. They are the actual Israel of the Bible. Um, very weird teaching. So we're going to talk about those guys too. And I'm not going to be doing it alone. I have some people, I have a very good friend of mine. I met, um, his name is Zui, and um, he's a, he, he, he has a lot of interesting views, but he's one person that I think is very well skilled to talk about some of these groups. So please, you guys, don't miss it. Come and learn. Learn how to handle objections. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the, um, the Church of Christ. There's a group called the Church of Christ. Um, I don't want to go into that. Those ones, they, I don't know why they still call themselves the Church of Christ, but they believe in things like God the Mother. Um, they believe in some weird stuff. We're going to look at all of these, and we're not doing it to spite anyone. We're just telling you that there's a teaching in God's word that says, flee from false doctrine. We need to be able to identify what it is and expose it for what it really is, all right? So don't miss uh, next week, all right? It's going to be a good time. All right, and so we're doing this again this week. I had a lot of feedback from people who had buddies that with. So please, we're doing it again this week from the second to the sixth. Buddy or prayer partner for the week. All right, 
Um, and then uh, this is me just using this the privilege of leading this platform to say this, but Abisola's birthday is on the third. It's two days from now. So send your love to her. If you remember to um, say, God bless you, pray for her. All right. And um, yeah, that is it from me. Let me just round us up in prayer. All right. But by the way, um, some of you have been seeing Kelechi's posts on the group. Please go. He has some amazing articles, A to D. Please go and read them. They are just amazing stuff. All right. So don't ignore them. Go there, read some of them, the articles, some, listen to some of the recordings. Um, all right. Um, and I love you guys so much. I pray for you as often as I remember to thank you for all of the, those of you who have decided to help out with what we're doing here. Um, you know, let me just pray us out and um, we'll round up. Thank you, Father. We love you so very much. I pray right now that the words we've learned will last for a lifetime. Help us to recognize truth when we see it. Help us to revel and enjoy the gift of grace and understand what the law was for so that we might be useful in your work. Lord, we pray right now for everyone listening to me. Some of you are stressed and I pray that the, the power of God relieves you of that stress. You are given wisdom. You function with wisdom, spiritual wisdom to, to move through the tides in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray for freedom for those of you who struggle. And I pray that your week, your new week is blessed by the power of the spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for those of you that still till, stay till the end. I love you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Ernest. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.